Coming up on episode 19 of Off Air with Joe and Oral. We've got a unique angle for you this week. Scott Akasaki is the Dodgers' longtime director of travel, and that's going to be an interesting, unique angle any season, but especially in 2020 with all the different protocols. And Scott pulls back the curtain on everything they're going through as they hit the road. And we brought up the subject of offense being down all across baseball with Dave Roberts, but we also asked him about his top four uniforms. Yeah, we're all going to give our top four uniforms across baseball, of course, outside the Dodger uniform. I think we all agree that's number one. And today's podcast is brought to you by Bank of America, Security Benefit, UCLA Health, and QCells. A setback. Well, it's just a comeback you haven't met yet. While this season may look different, let's rally to support our team in a great cause. As the official bank of Major League Baseball and the Los Angeles Dodgers, Bank of America is launching a Let's Rally campaign and donating $10,000 to Boys and Girls Clubs of America for each late-inning comeback to win the game, up to $1 million. As part of this effort to make a difference in local communities, Bank of America has partnered with Dodgers ace Walker Bueller and MLB players from each team to create a unique collection of 30 t-shirts. For each t-shirt purchase, Bank of America will donate $7 to the Boys and Girls Clubs of America. That's up to $200,000. At a time where our country faces its own comeback, Bank of America is excited to use its partnership with Major League Baseball and Boys and Girls Clubs of America to give fans something positive to rally around. Learn more at MLB.com slash Bank of America. Let's rally. Well, I'm talking about security benefit, Joe. You get a sip of water after that one. That was a mouthful. Every winning season is built on a strong team, a team committed to executing a solid game plan. At Security Benefit, we want to help you and your advisors build your retirement game plan to help you stay committed during these uncertain times so that when it's time to execute, you know that you've got a solid team behind you. When it comes to retirement, losing is not an option. Talk to your financial advisor to see how you can plan for retirement. Security Benefit is a proud sponsor of the Los Angeles Dodgers. Tap out, water break for you. Dodger fans, (laughs) we've got some great news. UCLA Health has once again earned the number one position in both California and Los Angeles while jumping up two spots to secure the number four national ranking in the annual assessment of hospitals by U.S. News & World Report. The national honor roll is a distinction reserved for only 20 hospitals among 4,500 evaluated, and UCLA Health has appeared on the list 31 straight years. It's a remarkable achievement, only possible because of their commitment to the patients they serve. What does offering the best care mean for you? Best care means pride. Best care means trust. Best care means that even amid a pandemic, you can wake up each day with the confidence that the top team in California has your back. Thank you for being part of the UCLA Health family and allowing them to take care of you. Visit UCLAHealth.org to learn more about UCLA Health's commitment to your community. This one's a little more efficient here. This is about solar power. Harness unlimited energy from the sun through solar, a sustainable investment for energy independence. Curious to see if solar is worth it for you? Calculate your savings with QCells, the number one solar panel market share leader and official solar partner of the Los Angeles Dodgers. Visit QCells at wwwq cellscom Dot us to learn more today. All right, it's episode 19 of Off Air with Joe and Oral, Scott Akasaki, Director of Travel, and of course, Dave Roberts. Hit it, Frankie. So get on your feet, feel your own heart 
Scott, I'm pretty sure you are the first loyal podcast listener to become a podcast guest. So I got to know, are you pretty darn nervous about this appearance? appearance? You know, I got um, some advice from my neighbor here, Dave Roberts. He told me, just treat it as a conversation. So like, as we would be talking in the normal world in his office, just I'm having a conversation with two friends. Perfect. You're off to a good start, don't you think, Oral? I, I really appreciate him as a guest, and I appreciate him as a traveling secretary. So, yeah, this is going really well. And I think Scott should tell you, Joe, how we met. Oh, I haven't heard this story. Go ahead, Scott. Okay, so not to uh, inflate Oral's ego too much, <laughs> too but, late. you know, in, in 1988, right? So um, I, was a, I was a 12-year-old boy, and I would pretend that I was number 55 pitching for the Dodgers, right? And so um, fast forward to January 2000, uh, they're building the dugout club here at Dodger Stadium. So we had to have the then winter workouts at a different place. And it was at um, Rod Dato Field. It was at USC. So January 2000 is my first um, month starting with the Dodgers and winter workouts. And my first assignment was to go uh, essentially have a clipboard and to be the parking pass monitor. So very excited, big Dodger fan, right? So uh, I'm, I'm 22 years old, first job, first month, and um, Gary Sheffield comes in and Chanho Park. And I mean, you know, you're just, you're just a kid out of college. You want to see what kind of cars these guys drive, right? <laughs> and so my, of course, my hero on the, on the 88 Dodger team, Moral Hershiser drives through. And he, he rolls down the window and he says, hey, uh, I'm Oral Hershiser. I'm a player. Am I on the list? And I said, yes, you're on the list, Mr. Hershiser. Here's your parking pass. And that was how we first met. So, um, You weren't impressed with my car either. Well, <laughs> it must have been a rental because it, it was, was a Ford Taurus. <laughs> uh, I, and it was brown, right? So, you know, I think Sheffield had and Chan Ho had BMWs and um, Oral Hershiser uh, had the yeah. brown Ford Taurus. I'll never forget it. Wow. I love that. And uh, since you've gotten to know him, is he, has he lived up to your grand expectations? Are oh, you proud boy. that you wore 55 as a kid? Well, that was, that's a dangerous question. Um, but yes, absolutely. <laughs> um, he likes my wife. Uh, you know, the, um, the meeting, meeting all the broadcasters, um, you know, you don't know them. You just hear the voice. You may see the face on television from time to time, but everyone is as genuinely um, nice as, as they appear on the broadcast. So um, that's been very uh, um, beneficial to me to have Oral as a mentor uh, all these years. So not only just about, you know, baseball, of course, but about life and, you know, how to how to handle different situations. Scott, uh, people ask me often, and I'm sure ask Oral, what's it like to travel with a major league team? But for you, what's it like to be responsible for the travel of a major league team? You know, I've never really thought about it in um, terms that are um, with a lot of pressure. Hmm. Um, I, I think I think of it in terms of doing a job, right? And if you think about um, what could possibly go wrong? Maybe you would let the the stress get to you. But I think if you're organized, you 
make sure all the buses and the planes and the equipment trucks and the hotel rooms are all accounted for and you stick to being detail oriented, um, I think that's the way to approach it. Who let you down the most as far as like our buses being late, our air, air airline problems, the truck doesn't show up to get the equipment to the ballpark. What's, what's the biggest Achilles heel where you go, I really got to watch this in this city. You know, um, for the most part, everybody's pretty good. Yeah. Bus companies, hotels, uh, you're always wary of the new hotel that hasn't had a major league team before. Um, we, as you guys have seen, we generally stay at the same hotels that the Chicago Cubs stay at or the Boston Red Sox stay at or, you know, the San Francisco Giants. We all kind of stay at the same hotels because we know um, that group, that hotel, whether it's room service or the housekeeping or the conference services people, they all know how to handle a major league team. Um, the, the most difficult part of the job, I would say, is... Uh, when you have a mechanical problem with the airplane, then you have absolutely no control, uh-huh. right? Because you can't fix an airplane, right? You can <laughs> if, if buses don't show up, you can, in the old world, you can just have everybody Uber or taxi or everybody cram in a bus. Not You can't do that now, but um, th- there's ways around it. When somebody asks you, Scott, just on a basic level, what do you do in your job? How do you answer that? Um, I would say the real, the one sentence answer is like a road manager for a baseball team. And go a little deeper than that. What all does that involve on a typical day? Getting the, the, getting the team from one place to another in a safe manner. Um, that is the, the very basic function of it. But under all of that, it's, um, it's the conduit between the front office and downstairs. So whether it's HR issues, whether it's finance issues, paychecks, um, it's obviously the per diems, uh, making sure we're following all the rules that are set forth by Major League Baseball. Um, it's, it's, it's obviously getting ready for the, for the next trip all the time. There's so many trips. Um, how far out in front? How far out in front do you have to get, Scott? Depends. Generally, I'm about two, three weeks ahead. But, but all the planes are scheduled, right, already, as soon as the schedule comes out? Right. Those are all scheduled a year in advance, hmm. unless you have COVID-19 and then you have yeah. one month hmm. in advance. Well, that's what I was going to ask you. How different is your job this year? You know, this year has uh, been a challenge for everyone, of course. Um, for the 30 travel guys, uh, we had um, regular calls together just to – uh, trade notes to see what possibly was going to go on. We had heard rumblings like you all have heard, like you all saw on Twitter and, and the internet um, about a schedule when it may or may not start. So we were at the ready, um, but being at the ready just means we were prepared to receive a schedule. So we knew what we would normally take maybe six months to plan. We had to plan it in three weeks. Um, but we had all of our people uh, at the ready as well. Um, as you guys know, the, the hotels have taken a big hit. The airlines, uh, the bus companies were just sitting in parking lots. So they were all ready to go. And we told them in advance, hey, 
when this thing go, gets going, we don't know exactly when it's going to get going, but it's going to get going. It's going to get going quick. So be ready. So uh, everybody was um, obliged, obligated, uh, not obliged, but they were they were um, in sync with what we wanted mm-hmm. to do. I mean, that had to be. So the, the schedule officially comes out July 6th. I'm sure you had it a few days leaves you like you said three weeks to do all this were those three weeks like the craziest of your life uh they were tough um but at the same time you did have uh only 60 games so 30 road games to plan and i think the fact that we're staying in the west made it a lot easier in that you're doing your your volume is less but yet it's it's you, you are still you're still doing a lot from planning to execution, how is it going, and have you had to make any major adjustments? Um, no major adjustments as of yet, but uh, I would say that, of course, with all the different protocols, with the manual, with the updates to the manual that we've had in, in recent weeks, um, those have been the things that have been the biggest challenge. You know, And as you guys know, when we normally travel, we have about two buses. Well, now because of social distancing and the masks and the requirements, we have five. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, one bus seats 56, 56 people. Well, now the capacity of one bus is 14 people. So our traveling party is about 70. And, we, you know, we have to we have to put, put everybody in five buses. So everybody's lots of space, but there's reasons for that space. How about on the plane? How different is that experience this year? Uh, that, that's really weird. You know, I, I was talking with somebody about the most memorable trips I've ever had during my 20 years. And, you know, you remember going to Australia, you remember going to the World Series, you remember going to Beijing and Taiwan, and um, you remember all those things. You don't remember going to Cincinnati or St. Louis and the random you know, road trip from seven years ago. But I will never forget our this last road trip, going to Houston with all that, with what it meant from 2017, not only that impact staying at the same hotel, but how everybody was wearing a mask and everybody was apprehensive about getting on the plane. And we had to test our flight attendants and it was just so weird, right? We had to wipe down our seats and um, nobody could get up. And there was all these rules in place and everybody followed them, which was great. And so credit goes to our players and staff and, um, for following all the protocols and we came out of the road trip uh, really unscathed. So Scott, you know, after talking about world series and playoffs and how tight this team is, is the pain from 2017 still palatable around the locker room? I think you never forget oral. Um, um, especially what happened this off season, it's fresh in your mind, right? When did this stuff come out? November. Yeah. And, um, so November, you know, the Mookie trade and then spring training and then, and then into, in, into quarantine and then all to this, um, that still is very fresh. And every time, you know, the Astros are on, on television, you think about it, right? I mean, this is the, the listeners can't see, but I'm wearing my 2017 world series hat, right? My favorite hat, because for me, it's the world championship hat. Right. Um, you know, my 2017 ring is the World Series championship ring, in my opinion. So, um, you know, 
change my mind on that one. But um, oh, I'm with you. Absolutely. You know, I think the, you've probably heard the podcast, heard me go off a little bit. <laughs> and I didn't even say half the anger that I feel. Yeah, the, the, the Houston situation, that hasn't left anybody, you know. And, and, I, and I get it. The players can't say what they truly want to say. But When the moves came out, did, did a lot of theories and suspicions on the team all of a sudden go, I told you so? You know, we were all apart at that point. Right. So uh, I don't know what Clayton's conversation with Kenley was or but, uh, you know, just talking with um, the clubhouse guys or the video guys from 17 and just talking amongst ourselves. You know, you certainly heard the you certainly heard the banging. You heard the air horns. Right. You heard the whistling. Um, You heard the 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 other sounds, right? You just didn't know what they were exactly until you saw it on the internet. And you're like, okay, now it makes sense, right? They were on mm-hmm. every pitch. Scott, I would imagine in your job, trust is a key component, right? I mean, is that something that you, you, you have to work in your position to build up over the years? And, and is that accurate that trust is a, a huge component? Uh, yes. Um, Trust is very important. And, um, because, you know, if you're, I just, sometimes I try to put my, um, I try to wear somebody's other, somebody else's shoes and Mm -hmm. just think if I'm Justin Turner, right. And he's just, he's just relying on me to, you know, if the bus says it's at noon, he shows up at noon and that their buses will be there to get to a plane that I say will be there to then get on another bus that I say will be there and then to have his hotel room that I said will be there. Um, ultimately that trust is extremely important. And, um, um, I try not to think about that too much. Um, to, yeah, I, 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 I like to think of it as how would I plan things for myself and my own family if we were going somewhere hmm. to make all these sure that these details are um, accounted for. So how did you get the job? Tell us how you escalated up the Dodger organization. Um, well, I was the team's interpreter in 2002. So uh, at that time, we had Hideo Nomo return to the Dodgers, and we had a rookie pitcher named Kazuhisa Ishii. And so I had double duty. I was both of their interpreters. Uh, in 2003, I was called back to the office to... Uh, continue my research job into Japanese baseball. Um, and then in 04, uh, they call, the offseason of 03, they called me into the office and said, hey, um, the traveling secretary is leaving, so would you like the job? And uh, I jumped right away at it because I knew it was at that time as close as you could be to putting on a uniform without without actually putting on a uniform. So for somebody who's now at that point in his life, I was about uh, 25, 26. Uh, it was great. What, what about it? That's an interesting thing you said. It's the closest thing you can get to putting on a uniform without actually putting on a uniform. What about the job makes that the case? Well, the fact that you have so much interaction, I mean, I, I'm, I'm not interaction as a fan per se, but uh, the responsibility, I wanted a meaningful mm-hmm. job in sports. Um, at the time I was doing research into Japanese players, but 
you know, you don't get Japanese players like you do in the draft, right? You, 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 there's, it's really, it's a lot of work to get one Japanese player. Mm -hmm. And um, so that I had a feeling there was a, some type of ceiling to it, although I didn't know how much of a ceiling there was. Um, you're also beholden to the general manager and what the GM, you know, if, if you like a guy, um, maybe the GM doesn't. So case in point, we liked a guy, five nine, five nine outfielder named Ichiro Suzuki. We liked him, but our GM at the time was not on him. He he wanted Tom Goodwin instead. So we didn't we didn't get Ichiro, right? So um, that part of it was sort of disenchanting. But now you're now if you're the travel guy, there's always something to do. There's always meaningful work. And um, it was, in my mind at that point, a step up. Who are your favorites throughout the years that you've been able to work with? Other than broadcasters. Um, Other than oral. Do I need to say jock? Because that's like one of the... Uh, the <laughs> you've the listened answers. to a lot of podcasts. <laughs> yeah. That's the, uh, um, uh, That's to a tough question. E yeah, to make it easier, let's just do retired. Yeah. Okay, yeah. retired. Okay. Um some, some, maybe some strange, um, answers, um, other than Andre Ethier, uh, you know, the, the guys who obviously I've been with the longest, someone like Andre, someone like Matt, Russell Martin, uh, the, all those guys, um, because I knew them when they were minor league players and seeing them grow, not only as players, but as men and their relationship, how that's developed over the years. You know, when we were single guys to when we were married to then we had kids, um, that obviously that that friendship has grown over the years. Um, one person who people may not think that uh, was all that popular uh, is Jeff Kent. And the reason why I say Jeff is because he is very honest and we were bad uh, when I first started. And Jeff was the only uh, veteran on the team um, that people would, would listen to or he would speak his mind. And he sat in the back, and I, and I get it. As a player, he wouldn't say hi to people. But on the very last day, we were walking down the tunnel our last game, and he goes, Scotty, I know it's your first year. You did a great job. Hmm. And uh, I'll never forget uh, Jeff and how he treated me, how he treated the clubhouse guys. And um, I think honesty, like you said, trust, honesty. Um, that's all you want in this position, honesty and trust. What are uh, a couple of the more outrageous requests you've had to fulfill? You don't have to name names. Um, you know, one time there was a player who, uh, it was Mother's Day, and he wanted me to uh, take his credit card and send flowers to his mom, which was, you know, it's kind of a personal thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess he rent, didn't have time or whatever. Um, that's probably one of the most out there ones <laughs> in that uh, I went to research where his mom was from um, or where his hometown was in Mexico. Um, and then try to find like some native flower that some wow. flower shop had. So, I mean, that that's when, you know, uh, that's probably one of the most outrageous not outrageous, but wild, I guess. Yeah. That's just like, that doesn't seem like it'd be one that would fall under your umbrella, but right. Right. 
but he asked me to do it and I was like, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll do this one. You said it was this close to being a player. Um, how close do you get to the managers? They've got to be right there with you. Like you're their best friend and you, they have to have a ton of trust in you because you're, you're got their career in your hand in some ways, if it doesn't work out. Yeah. You know, the, the managers, um, that's always been very special. Um, uh, and it's interesting how you see things in different people. And when they're the manager of the team, for some reason, I thought they were the best manager ever. So whether it's been Jim Tracy to Grady Little to uh, Joe um, to Donnie, right, and to, and, and to now Dave. So um, uh, all of them have been uh, have remained friends and mentors through the years. And again, not only like like with you, Oral, but um, not just about baseball and learning the game, you know, which we love so much, but also as uh, uh, the life experiences that they've had um, and, and sort of the good times and the bad times, you know, they talk about throughout their lives, you know, and I, and I think that's one of the things that maybe you guys miss, but uh, I've missed is, is the relationships with the people, with the friends that you've had. And, and it's not talking about maybe last night's game and the come from behind win, you know, and the two home runs, right. It's, it's, it's about, Hey, you know, this thing is going on in my life. How would you handle it? Or, you know, different, different things. So, um, I think that's very, uh, that's the part where maybe we're drawn to the club so much. Um, it's almost addicting the friendships that you have. You know, the fans to pull back the curtain a little bit for the fans, what you just touched on about conversations that are different than baseball. Um, pull back the curtain a little bit about like the percentage of time that players are players and the percentage of time players are just human beings, you know, that, that when they get off the field, how long does it take them to all of a sudden have those kind of conversations with you or the, within their teammates? Yeah, I think, I think one thing in this job that um, I try not to forget is, is these people are, um, they are for, Yes, they're very talented baseball players, right? So um, I was just ha having a socially distant lunch yesterday with Corey Seager uh, when he came in. And we didn't talk one bit about baseball, but we talked about how we talked about traffic in Los Angeles. And we talked about living in certain communities and driving in in COVID versus not driving in COVID. And um, he... Uh, it was a very, it was a very uh, light conversation, but yet it was a good conversation because you can kind of see the human side of, of, um, of him and not just talking about um, hitting a fastball or all the doubles he hits or his defense. And uh, I think that um, you can go very quickly to a human being to human being conversation. Um, you know, there, that's what they ultimately are. Yes, they're on television and we consider them um, Dodger players in the white uniform or the gray uniform, but ultimately uh, they're human beings. Are some teams closer than others? Everybody talks about chemistry. You're one that gets to witness it. Yeah, that's, that's a tough one. Um, they're always, I feel like they're always close. Uh, obviously the winning helps it more. And uh, this group is uniquely tight. Um, especially with uh, the, the different circumstances surrounding 2020. 
I felt like the 17 team was tight. I felt like the 18 team was tight. And it's, it's generally the same group of guys. But I think that when you have, and it's not this year, but when you have guys who have grown up together, right? Like, like Stripling and Kike and Clayton and Kenley, and you have kind of the same age or same life experiences in, in, in Justin and um, you're, you're, maybe I'm, I'm, maybe I'm, since I'm not a player, maybe I'm speaking um, out of place, but you, you may be willing to sacrifice more for your teammate than a guy that you just, uh, that you just, you know, that just signed or that was just traded. So, yeah, I was going to, to, to wrap, I was going to have you give us a little peek into this year's group and what you see from them through now one trip. And obviously haven't been around them on a daily basis for a month and a half now. The, um, well, starting in spring training and, um, and I think, uh, Andrew talked about this is, um, and, and I, obviously Dave talked about it. We thought we had a very good spring training, um, other than a few minor injuries, everybody was, um, uh, all cylinders. And, uh, we knew with Mookie and David, we had a really good team coming in, um, you know, uh, the last four years we've lost to the team that's won the world series. Right. And in two of those years, um, the, the teams cheated to win the world series. But um, other than that, uh, we felt like 2020 was our most uh, talented team. And then COVID hit. And then, so now we're kind of in this hover mode and then we come back to um, summer camp um, we still have the same team minus David. Um, and now what does that look like? So I think everybody, even though everybody's united in following um, all the rules that are set forth, we're still focused on, the team is still focused on um, bringing a world championship to Los Angeles. Scotty, we are so lucky to have you in the position that you're in speaking for, for Oral and myself. And I know everybody on our on the broadcasting side, we're so lucky to have you as a friend and have you in that position, somebody we can trust. And I'm glad that all the listeners of the podcast get to learn a little bit about you today. I thank you for uh, for the for the fans for taking care of the Dodgers. It's really, really special that the fans know that uh, the team is being taken care of. Well, you know. Joe and Oral, thank you for having me on. And um, I'm somebody that was born and raised in Los Angeles. I grew up listening to Vince Scully and uh, grew up, um, you know, with Tommy Lasorda, with, you know, all the great Dodger stars of the 80s and 90s. Um, and, and obviously um, being with this team has meant uh, the world to me. And Sometimes uh, being a Dodger employee has taken over too much of my life. Um, but uh, if I didn't have this position and I didn't, I, I wasn't in this job, I don't know what I would do, you know, to be honest. But um, um, again, thank you for having me on. It's, it's a tremendous honor to, to, to be a Dodger for all these years. Thank you, Scotty. Scotty. Thank you. Manager of the Dodgers, Dave Roberts, joins us. Dave, it's always good to see you. What was the best thing you saw this week? I, I, the best thing I saw this week um, was last night. Justin uh, Turner got 1,000 hits. And, you know, he's had a very, um, you know, traveled 
past a career. And so for him to accumulate 1,000 hits, I'm just really proud of him because he's a guy that's first to give the team and do for others. But uh, for that moment, that was a pretty special moment. I could see it in his eyes. Oral, what do you got? I had that one down, but I'm going to then switch gears. Uh, Sorry, it's be- Oral. It's okay, Skip. It's the best <laughs> thing that uh, Dana saw this week. It was a clean apartment when she got back here from Vegas, and she's like, Good honey, job. you didn't turn it into a bachelor pad. You did a nice job. Dishes were in the dishwasher. They were clean. The bed was made. Everything was nice around here. So, yeah, she appreciated that. How about she didn't. You didn't just stumble into that. You took great pride in making sure it didn't look like a bachelor pad when she showed up. So I, well done. I, I did because you can change a, a young lady's mood if you yeah. walk into a dirty apartment when she's been gone yeah. four or five days. Absolutely. Uh, best thing for me, guys, and I had to think. Oh yeah, that was this week. I guess since we last recorded, it was that night. Chris Taylor's throw to end the game last Wednesday night in San Diego. Mm-hmm. That and then just. Chris Taylor, period, lately. What he's doing at shortstop, he looks so good there. And I know that the results aren't quite showing offensively yet, but looks really good at the plate, too. So just Chris Taylor, overall, everything we've seen from him the last week, Doc. I'm in. You know what? It's funny is that, and we talk about it a lot amongst ourselves, where how underrated he is. And that's the way he wants it. But he just seems to do something every night when he's in there to help the team win. And you just can't look over his defense that he's done. He's played as well at shortstop taking over for Corey while he's down and some double plays, um, obviously the arm strength. I mean, he's getting on base, getting hit by pitches and getting some hits. So he's just, he's a fun player to watch and root for. We had uh, your travel director, Scott Akasaki on the show this week. He shared some great stuff, some great insight that you're not going to get anywhere else. You got any dirt for us on Scotty? <laughs> uh, the only dirt I've got on him is, you know, he, he's gone with the – I've known Scott since I played for the Dodgers when he was um, Ishii's translator. And so he's evolved with his uh, dress, his fashion, sense of fashion, and certainly his wife has a lot to do with it, Tiffany. Um, but he's also evolved his hair style. And so nowadays he's going with this, like, spiked hair, the I don't care, but I care, grease, you know, the, the hair sprayed up. Mm-hmm. But lately, the last couple of weeks, he's going with the comb over. So it's funny is that his uh, youngest kid, I think, Cole, um, is trying to get him to have a comb over. So it's just the funniest thing because he doesn't like the comb over, but it's just so different. So I I give him a little ribbing on that. But Scott's been a rock star throughout this whole pandemic stuff. He's been great. With all his kids and the college educations he has to save for, who was buying him those stylish suits back in the day? And he was wearing those on the plane. I mean, I'm like, Scott, you can't afford this $2,000 suit. Who is supplying your suits? You know what? I I think that when you're a traveling secretary, the one thing you've got to be very good at is connecting people. And uh, (laughs) so I think that he's very dialed in. And I always talk about I've got guys for this, for that. I think, uh, you know, Scott's got me exponentially. So uh, now, yeah, he's got all these great suits and we're wearing sweatsuits while we travel now. So I guess they're all in the closet. (laughs) Yeah, right. Uh, We're recording this as always Wednesday afternoon. So the final or the third game of the Padres series coming tonight. This is obviously going to get released Thursday morning. Seven and two on the road trip, four and five at home so far. Is home field advantage a zero this year? I think the net is probably more on the on the positive side, but it is not nearly what it used to be. I think the net, and the only reason it's on the positive is because you get to sleep in your own bed. 
Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the travel going back and forth, I think it's convenient. But as far as with the baseball, you know, outside of hitting fir- hitting second in the bottom half of the inning, I, I just don't see it. I think it's a net neutral. You know, when we're up in the booth, Dave, um, it's really interesting because last year, with all the great comebacks and walk-offs, when we were down a run or tied and you guys are coming up in the 7th, 8th, and ninth, you could just almost feel the Dodger fans willing you to victory. And the opposing teams would talk about how hard it is to play at Dodger Stadium. Do you guys miss some of that vibe in the dugout? Or is it you're, you're just trying to create your own vibe? Yeah, no, we, we miss all of it. Um, and I'll just start the, the one part is having everyone in, in the dugout you know, pulling for each other, you know, in the seventh, eighth and ninth inning, our own team. And then now you're talking about the fans. I mean, I recall uh, Ottavino one time at Dodger Stadium where the crowd clearly got to him and he couldn't find it. There were wild pitches everywhere. We ended up beating the Rockies at home in a day game. And we went on a streak right there. Um, And then I remember um, Archie Bradley doing the same thing here and, you know, really good relief pitcher. And, but you can just see 50,000 Dodger fans. And then we just sense something good is going to happen. And you keep nibbling. They can't find it. Their legs are shaking. Then they make a mistake. And then Justin, it's a three run home or something. We walk them off. And so right now, yeah, you know, you hear a lot of guys trying to create energy and um, it's a real thing. Um, You know, you try to kind of minimize a little bit and not give it as much power, but you know, I was a player. I fed off the crowd, and so that's just kind of natural as athletes. When do you feel it the most? Is it is it while you're trying to come back? Is it at the start of the game? When do you find yourself having to generate that energy the most? I think probably towards the end. Um, and I think that on the road we've been good late in games, but at home where you've gone gotten to the pen, and, and granted, now with the 28 guys on the roster, you have more guys um, at your disposal in the pen. But you've got young kids, young ball players that have never don't have a year of service that are pitching as a dodge in the eighth and ninth inning that don't have to deal with the crowd. And, and that's a big deal. And, and so. Um, but, yeah, no excuse, but we still got to find a way to still you know, be consistent offensively. One of the big topics across baseball this week is that you mentioned you got to be better offensively, but across baseball. Offense has been historically bad. What's your take on why that's been the case? There's, uh, you know, there's many uh, factors. Um, I think that I, I mentioned the uh, relievers. There's more arms. Guys aren't going deep in games, the starters. And so now you're getting the matchups because you have 10, 11 guys in the pen. That's one thing. Um, there's some big arms out there who now you can match up. The other thing, I, I think that the late ramp up, pitchers a little bit ahead of the uh, the hitters. And I'll tell you this, uh, I, I might get in trouble, but these balls just don't seem like they're flying like they uh, were last year. And so um, <clears throat> I don't know. It, it's interesting because, you know, when you talk to hitters and, and you say, man, I got that one and it doesn't go out, or I got it as much as I could and it barely goes out. And so there's there, – I don't know, but uh, that's just us three talking. Yeah. <laughs> Take us back to your playing days and six weeks of spring training, and everybody usually says it's just six weeks for the pitchers or somebody who's rehabbing and gets hurt, and then they'll still be able to get ready for the season. But do you feel like there's a lot of theories out there that the hitters need those six weeks to develop their swings and develop their timing? I think um, 
You know, the six weeks, I think certainly more for the starting pitcher. I think there's a middle in there. You know, the four weeks, I think, is enough. Because I remember when I played, I used to like to get 60, 60, 65 at bats in spring training, and then I'd be ready for the season. And now our guys in summer camp got around 30, 35 at bats. Um, So, you know, some guys don't need as much. But I think, you know, overall, I think that 60, 70 at bat throughout spring training is a good kind of – point of reference I guess you know as you're as you're managing and coaching and and thinking back to your playing days still were there managers or coaches that you can remember a conversation when you were in a slump or you can remember where you're going good and maybe you're starting to slack off on your workouts and they really kind of impacted your life yeah um yeah I I can and I can also remember the ones that when you're not going well they shun you and they ignore you (laughs) And make it make it feel hurt. like you're not trying and forgot how hard the game is. Um, but the ones that were there supporting and patted me on the butt are, are my teammates on the butt when uh, we were scuffling. Yeah, those are the guys that you try to remember and me in my position right now where some guys are scuffling. You know, you want to be that guy. Um, the game's difficult. They're grinding. Um, and I, I'm more hard on the players when things are going really well because I don't want complacency. So I kind of flip the script a little bit as far as how I manage. Do you find yourself, Dave, having to be any more of a psychologist because of the shortened season? Are guys putting more pressure on themselves because you can already see light at the end of the tunnel if you're not going well? Yeah, I can. And and I think that I don't think there's a player that will admit that they're putting more pressure on themselves, sure. um, but they are. Um, you know, it, it's a shortened season, but it's still a year of baseball in the context of guys going to be free agents or they want their numbers. Um, but you just don't have that time to get back, you know, get back, recover from a slow start. But everyone starts off slow at times, and uh, you usually have four or five months to recover. Um, so I think the messaging for me is, guys, let's just play to win. And, you know, people always want champions. So it's a truncated, abbreviated season. You're going to get your 150, 220 at-bats. Uh, that's not a sample that should dictate your future. But – Winning a championship, helping the Dodge win baseball games, I think will, number one, make you more available, attractive, and also lead us to a championship. Angels coming up this weekend down in Anaheim. Is that close enough to home in San Diego where you get another few days at home? It is. It is. I'm going to be commuting from home, but I will be probably sequestered and quarantined in my my house, which is the right thing to do Mm -hmm. to uh, still play with my dogs and, and to have food brought uh, to my room by my wife, but it's still worth it. Love that. <laughs> that might be a little aggressive. I'm just joking with that. Yeah, that'd be great. It'd be great. Anytime you get to get back and sleep in your own bed, something about that, right? Yeah, right. It, it, yeah. It's great, and um, and I'm looking forward to it. And I'll tell you, man, Trout is is heating up. So uh, I, I guess since he since father, I guess fatherhood has treated him really well. So right. this little freeway series, Angels Dodgers, you throw out the stats and. Um, that's one of the things. Another thing is like I just get all of L.A. and greater L.A. at the stadium, and that's always fun for me and us, but we won't get that, but it'll still be fun to play the Angels. You mentioned Trout. Watching Tatis Jr. play, this guy can really play. It, it, it's special in how he can play the game with such ease and comfort and swagger. Um, he's, you know, you watch him, and he's in tune. He's hunting pitches uh, the other night. Ross got him on a changeup a couple of times. Then he hunted the hunted the changeup and hit a ball 110 into left center gap. And no, he throws a breaking ball. Then hit went back 
backside with the base hit there. And he's in tune with the coach's positioning. So a guy that's 22, 23, it's just remarkable. And, you know, part of it is his dad was a baseball player and he was around the game. But he's just now you take skill set and you take knowledge and, and confidence. Boy, you got a special player. He makes the Padres uniform look really good. And that's my segue <laughs> to our top four this week. Top four non-Dodger uniforms. This was a hard one for me because there's a lot of sharp-looking uniforms. might have been easier to go top four worst, mm-hmm. so bottom four uniforms. We're going to do top four non-Dodger uniforms in baseball, Doc. Yeah, my number four, and you just said it. I- I'm on the pods, the old uh, – I'm on their uniforms. I, I like them, and um, it helps when you got – players that make a baseball uniform look good you know manny um tatis hosmer those guys are long and they make that uniform look good so um i think the padres they did it right this year so i'm on them um number three i like what the white Sox did this year um they went back and and it's kind of takes me back to harold baines and fisk i mean i kind of like their their unis robin ventura was rocking them back in the day um so i like those as number three and uh, this is kind of like my Oral Hershiser vanilla answer for two and one. I got Yankees Red Sox, man. It's just like I, I just think they're just so classic. And, you know, to change colors, to change, to do this, to do that for marketing or for whatever reason, you know, you go with Old Faithful, man. It's hard to beat Red Sox, Yankees and, of course, our Dodgers. It would be easy to overthink this one, but I'm, I'm glad to hear you go with a couple traditional for one and two. I kind of went through the same thing saying, oh, well, is it like, do you, can you can you not say the Yankees? That feels like overthinking it. Oral, what about you? Uh, my number four is one of the classier ones for me is the Cardinals with the birds resting on a bat. I thought that was well-designed and well-thought-out, and the Cardinals have always been a classy organization. And uh, it's probably more about the Clydesdales and the uniform and everything all put together when you go play St. Louis. Um, the rest of mine, to go off of what Dave said with my vanilla topics, <laughs> I had to give it a topic. And my topic was sentimental uniforms and more than it was their look. And so I went with, uh, first of all, the Yankees because I was born in Buffalo, New York and grew up a little bit of a Yankee fan until I was about seven, eight years old. And after that, I was a high schooler and, uh, you know, I was at, in 1968 at 10 years old before I went to high school. I uh, lived in Detroit, and the Tigers won the World Series. So the Tiger uniform is very special to me with the English script D. And then my very best uniform is when I got to high school with the Philadelphia Phillies, the pinstripes of the Philadelphia Phillies, because the Phillies uh, were a very special team to me because I went to high school in Cheryl, New Jersey, and my dad had kind of a partial season ticket to the Phillies, so we went to a lot of those games. So for me, it's almost like that whole childhood of growing up, hoping to play in the big leagues and what uniform would I like to wear, and I had three as we moved around the country. You know, the powder blues have made a comeback. The mm-hmm. Phillies have, are wearing some powder blues. Doc, are you on the powder blue look that teams are sprinkling back in? I am. I, I, I'm on them. I, I like the powder blues. I've always kind of been a uh, Tar Heel fan, Jordan yeah. fan. So, uh, you know, the powder blues, I can always be talking to those. You don't think those look like softball uniforms? Yeah, I, I get it. <laughs> I absolutely get it. I, I'm with you. That's fair. Yeah, it can be done right. Some of them are done right. I don't love the Blue Jays powder blue. Oral, you know, you noticed that on TV yesterday. It looks a little softball-y. But yeah, especially when they're attribute those to Buffalo now. 
Yeah, the Buffalo Blue Jays. <laughs> Our uh, top fours are pretty close, Oral. I've got the Cardinals as number four. Okay. That logo that you talked about, the classy birds, bat and birds logo, that's yeah. a Branch Rickey creation back in the early 1920s when he was in the Cardinals organization. My number three is the Yankees, the home whites. Uh, yep. My number two is the Cubs home uniforms. That's a sentimental one for me, too, having grown up in the Midwest, a Cubs fan watching the games on WGN, and mm-hmm. just those clean, classic white pinstripes. And then number one, the Tigers, home whites, oh, wow. unchanged for, sure. for a century with the old English D. Yep. So That's yeah. why we it's get along in the booth it. and off the field. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, right. Doc, it's good to talk to you. Uh, next time we talk next week, let's have some offense to talk about. How's that sound? We're going to have a lot of offense, and we're going to string some wins together, boys. I want Dino Ebel to, to, to tear his rotator cuff from swinging his arm. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Take care, guys. I did. See you, Skip. To reach into the mailbag and pull a good one out. All right, this one comes from Jacob Newman, who is a college pitcher at, I believe it's pronounced Brandeis University. And Jacob, big fan, listens every night. We appreciate your kind words very much, Jacob. And Jacob's question, Oral, how'd you get into broadcasting? Wow. I could take you back to my playing days thinking about broadcasting and thinking about possibly being in the front office or probably being in the dugout as a pitching coach or manager. And I thought as a player I should train and get connections and learn as much as possible to get myself ready for post-career because you're probably going to spend more time after your career than you do during your career. And so broadcasting ended up after being a pitching coach, after being an associate general manager of the Texas Rangers, and then being up in the front office of the Rangers and feeling like the front office is not going to be the place for me, asking my wife, Dana, what should I do? And she said, well, you enjoyed a couple broadcasts with ESPN when you did the Little League World Series as a guest announcer. Why don't you call Chris Berman and ask him about broadcasting with ESPN? So I did, and he connected me with Norby Williamson, who was in charge of baseball broadcasting. And within about three days, I had a contract with ESPN and gave my notice at the Texas Rangers to the owner, Tom Hicks, and I was into broadcasting and uh, haven't left ever since. Must be nice to have it be that easy. A call away, three days later, you got to deal with ESPN. Us guys that don't have names like Oral Hershiser, we <laughs> grind away for years trying to make it. I was grinding as a player know, to try and I learn know. all these different things. You know what I mean, though. Uh, I know. For me, I'm lucky that I have known forever that it's what I wanted to do. And I always tell people you don't, you don't have to know what you want to do, but if you do know what you want to do at an early age, it can really springboard you. So... I chose a college partially based on where I could get the most hands-on reps right away. Went into college trying to do everything I could so that when I graduated, I was ahead of the curve and could take a, a good job that you know might normally take a few years as a professional broadcaster to get. And really just everything that, every decision I made from the time I was in high school moving forward was towards wanting to do exactly what I'm doing right now. So I could go really deep into how it all broke and everything, but just a lot of good timing and a a lot of foresight on my part. I got a follow-up, though, for you, because isn't it so important that the person you love is into your career, too, and willing to pay the price with Libby? Yes, 100%. Uh, Yeah, I mean, I I would not be where I am right now without her and her support. And uh, I think that it is hard. It would be hard to meet somebody now and have them really be able to appreciate how wonderful this job is and how lucky 
I am to have this job because she was there right from the beginning when it was just a dream. And, you know, she went to Montgomery, Alabama for three years doing minor right. league baseball where I was making a, a grand a month or whatever. And um, yep. so, so she was there for the entire ride. And yeah, she's as big a part of this as anybody. But she could have got off the train and like said, okay, this minor league gig and this is a pipe dream. And boy, you know, she could have said in the middle of one of those cities where you are, totally. we've had enough, Joe, let's go get a real job. She could have said that. My parents could have said that when I was going to college and they're paying, you know, 40 some grand a year to send me to college. And I'm saying, I'm going to go be a sports announcer where you're going to make nothing for a long time, may never make anything. Yeah. But uh, you know, the three of them were even more committed to me doing it than I was. You know, I, I have second thoughts at times, just trying to be realistic. Like, is it possible that I'm actually going to make it in this business? So many people want to. But the three of them, my parents and my now wife, made sure that I never gave up on it. I think the listeners should know, too, that it's harder to be a broadcaster than it is to be a big league player. There are less broadcasters in the stadium than there are players and managers and coaches. So hmm. we're about the same level as managers and coaches as far as odds because, you know, you got four or five, six guys on the coaching staff on each side. And you're probably, when you go to a, a, a game, the visiting broadcast team and the home broadcast team, you're probably looking about the same amount, but you, mm -hmm. you, you know, nowadays you got 56 players on the field. Right. Yeah. So Joyce, nice job. Nice accomplishment. Hey, thanks, man. Way to go, Libby. <laughs> <laughs> right, Libby, Paul, and Lori. Great assist. <laughs> what are you most looking forward to this week? Uh, I've on a track of 17 games in a row. I know you're on a track of 27 games in a row, and I'm looking forward to the Dodgers getting hot. I'm looking forward to announcing some W's and seeing some offense and, yeah. and having the team on the field create some excitement instead of us having to worry about creating excitement and being entertainment for the fans. So, yeah, I think they're due, and I think it's time for them to get hot, and I'm excited for that. Yeah, I agree with you. Same thing there, and then I'm also looking forward to watching Mike Trout play. I think that it's oh, yeah. easy for us to, from afar, take for granted what he does, but I always love my yearly reminders of how – great a player he is how he's on his own level and we get a chance to see that only a few times in person a year i guess we don't get to see it in person this time it'll be off monitors but you know what i mean a chance to watch him play well totally because every time we do comparisons about who's on top and we're doing over a player and we're trying to rate him we always run into trout yeah. way above them yeah so it's a battle so for a second yeah yeah all right love you buddy see you at the stadium in a little bit i sure will love you too 